0: Tonight, you only have one page, and and a lot of it is going over some stuff we've already gone over. Um, it's more of a like a little refresher. Next week, uh, we'll be talking about praying for the nations. Um, that'll be the main topic. And then after that, I want to start doing, um, if y'all just want to keep coming, and we'll announce it to anybody else that wants to come, but we want to. I want to teach you how to share your faith just using a casual conversation. Um, if, if you're like me, I learned all the tough, old, hard methods um, where you had to make up a conversation and get it going. And I I just want to give you something conversational you can use uh, uh, anywhere. Two two different ones, in fact. One uses the word gospel as an acronym. And um, uh, in in full disclosure, I haven't memorized that one yet. So we'll learn that one together. The other one is just a three-circle conversation that uh, that God has a design. You just start that whole conversation with the fact that there's a lot of uh, hurt in the world and, and and you know things are going bad, but there's also a lot of beauty in the world. We live in a place where that's kind of easy to see. And so you just talk about God designed the world to be beautiful and perfect, but there was a problem. Man messed that up. And that messing up, God calls sin, and it led to brokenness in our lives. And so man is broken and needs a savior, and you come back to... God's redemption of the Savior, which leads us back to God's design for us, and uh, it's called the Three Circles Conversation. And like I said, once you get that down with verses, you can draw it on the back of a napkin or or uh, just describe it to someone. You can get an app on your phone that has it uh, on there, so it's real easy. If you have a smartphone, you can say, "Well, let me show you this thing that I found," and you can just do it. That also is just a conversation. You're just in the middle of a conversation, and you can lead into that. So. I want to maybe show, uh, teach both. Um, we might do one of them in one night. I, I'm not sure about that. But um, if you're willing and want to come back, that would be great. Because I want us to be able to to um, w- witness in everyday life. And um, there's nothing wrong with the other methods that I've learned or you've learned. Um, not at all. There are, in fact, there are many times when you've got to pull from some of those. Um, there's a, there's an old saying, Pastor Todd and I were talking about that this week because he's trying to do the same thing with his kids. And, uh, there's an old saying that goes when the only tool you have is a hammer, every problem looks like a nail. And if it doesn't look enough like a nail, you might be scared to pull out that hammer and hit it. So, um, you need to use you, you to other tools. So we, we'll do that as we go forward. So tonight is want to talk about our access to God. And drawing near. And I, I already see where my computer auto-corrected something for me. And, uh, and so the sentence doesn't even make sense anymore. Um, but it, once you see what it's supposed to say, it'll make sense how it auto-corrected for me. But uh, let, let's begin in prayer. And we're going to come back later, as I said. And we're going to have a little bit more time in prayer. And I'm going to probably ask you for some of your prayer requests at that point. So uh, first, let's, uh, let's just pause right now and, and speak to our Father. Um, Father, we, we thank you that your name truly is holy, um, and that wh- where we live and, and for what we work is your kingdom, and we ask that your kingdom indeed would come, and that your kingdom would live in our lives, it would live in our community at Calvary, and that we would spread that kingdom in, in the city of Stanton, that, that more and more people would be in the, the kingdom of Christ. Lord, so we, we thank you for that um we we just pray also that your will would be done uh, in our lives god that that we would know you and that your perfect plan would be worked out in our lives lord we know that you could just overwhelm us and do it by force but we thank you that you make us willing participants that you give us the faith uh that we might reach out to you in prayer and and in, in desire that you give us the desire of our hearts, that you place your desire in our hearts, that, that we would desire you, that we would seek you, that we would love you and know you. And that because you have made us to desire you, Lord, we, we long for you and we come after you. And so, we, Lord, we, we revel in that. We just thank you that, that you could woo us so much that we would only desire you above all things. So we pray that that would be true in our life and that your will would be done. If, and if your will can't be done in our life and life at Calvary, how can we expect your will be done for those who do not yet know you? So, uh, God, we know that you are such a mighty God that even the heart of kings that do not acknowledge you, their hearts are in your hands and you can turn them, as you said in your word, wh- whichever direction you want. And so you are in operation in all the nations of the world, bringing this world to a, an expected end and, and to an end that you've even predicted. So we know it's going to happen um, more than just because you saw it come and you, you have it planned out. So we, we, are, we rejoice that we get to be part of that plan and that our job and our task in that is to preach the gospel to every creature we can possibly find and go after and hunt and get to and discover to tell them of the love of God in Christ. And so may we be more preoccupied with our task rather than um, other things that that are not necessarily our task. You let us know about them just so we understand the big picture. But Lord, may we be faithful where you've placed us and planned us to do your will. Tonight, Lord, as we, we open your word and we look at a few things about, uh, how we have access to your throne room, how we can come into your presence, even now, by the authority and the name and the, and the finished work of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we offer these prayers and in, in this worship to you as, as an offering. And we know that you are going to answer because you desire to get glory from us. So we pray that you would help us to know you better, to, uh, that, that we might... Uh, follow you more closely and that indeed you would gain glory from our lives and we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, th- this is about access to God and, and if we're going to access God, we, we have to draw near to him. You see all those verses in Hebrews 10, so if you want to open your Bible to Hebrews and uh, chapter 10, I'm going to read those verses for you. Um, some of them are, uh, are in order even though they're listed out individually so um let me let me read we 're beginning in verse nineteen is the first verse we 're going to read it says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of jesus now that's a that's a strong that's a strong verse that 's a strong statement that we have confidence to enter the holy place in the name of Jesus or by the blood of Jesus, the holy places now Again, this book is called Hebrews. It's written in to to convince the Jewish people in the dispersion across the known world at that time about Christ and to to talk about who he is as Messiah. And so if you were Jewish, you would understand about the holy place and the holy of holies and that you know, Joe Blow could not walk in there. If you if you weren't uh, the high priest, if you didn't have a special reason to go in there, you you didn't go in. Uh, other priests might could go in the holy place, but only the high priest in the holy of holies. And here he says, we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. Now, obviously, he's not talking about the one in the temple, even though the temple of Herod was still standing in that day. He's talking about the one in heaven. And, and that's one of those verses that as a Christian, I feel like if we really understood it, we would be running around yelling hallelujah all the time. That we can confidently step into holy places by the blood of Christ. That that we this morning the invitation where His love ran red because of His blood. That that blood was a sacrifice that bought for us entrance into God's presence. And don't ever forget that everything we have from God was paid for, was purchased for us on the cross. That is that is the. That is the point, that is the thing that gives us access. It's not because God's grandfatherly, well, you know, those are my children. But his, his wrath was satisfied by the cross, and his frown was turned to a smile. And because of the blood of Christ, I can come in. So that, that's a very strong verse. I, uh, I, didn't, I didn't mean to actually just preach on it, but I want to make sure we got a hold of that. So in verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. I'm going to go ahead and read verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he that promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. So going back up to verse Um, 22, we can come near to what in verse 22? And, And by the way, go ahead and back up and read 20 and 21 to yourself and you'll get it. For by the new and living way he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. That was the veil that was torn. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near. Draw near to what? Right, to the throne of God, to God. I, I think I heard both those things. If I did, that was absolutely correct. So so we can draw near to God. Now again, let's just stop and think about what the writer of Hebrews is telling us. That there, there is the almighty God on his throne. Um, I hope it's still on there, I bet it's not. Um, this morning we sang a song and I even asked... Um, I asked... Uh, uh, it's not there. Um, I, I between services, I asked uh, Brother Mark, "Are we going to sing the verse to Awesome God?" And um, and he didn't have it, and, and uh, you know where it was quickly available, and so we didn't. But do you know the the words to the verses of Awesome God? I mean, we sing our God is an awesome God. He reigns, and it, that's become kind of the chorus, the lyrics, but the the uh, Please don't play. It's going to play. I don't want it to play. Don't do that. Sorry. Um, Well, this is taking too long. I shouldn't keep doing this, should I? My wife's going, no, you shouldn't stop. Um, What, babe? There it is. Here's one. It says, when he rolls up his sleeves, he ain't just putting on the ritz. Our God is an awesome God. There's thunder in his footsteps and lightning in his fists. Our God is an awesome God. And the Lord wasn't joking when he kicked him out of Eden. It wasn't for no reason that he shed his blood. His return is very close. And so you better be believing that our God is an awesome God. Then you sing the chorus. The second verse says, And when the sky was starless in the void of the night, our God is an awesome God. He spoke into the darkness and created the light. Our God is an awesome God. Judgment and wrath he poured out on Sodom. Mercy and grace he gave us at the cross. I hope that we have not too quickly forgotten that our God is an awesome God. The God who sat on on his throne in heaven and spoke, and it was, we draw near to that God. Now, I I don't know about you, but, you know, I, I don't think I would go in there all cocky. I would be pretty pretty scared uh, uh, of going in there. And so we draw near, but here's what he has done. Catch that. With a true heart, in verse 22, with full assurance or faith, because our hearts are sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our body washed with pure water. In other places in this chapter, he talks about the blood of bulls and goats. It might be chapter before this, but it, it can't cleanse our conscience. That even when you do that, you still have, you feel guilty. Even when you paid a sacrifice by bringing a lamb or a goat or whatever, a bull even, and you sacrificed it, had the priest sacrifice it for you, you still felt guilty. Do you know why you feel guilty? Because you are guilty. But the blood of Christ can cleanse even our conscience from guilt. So that when we step into the presence of a holy God, we come in with a clean conscience. Now, I, I'm i telling you, I, I struggle with my conscience. I don't know about you. I, I, I don't know if it's part of my heritage or what, but, I, you know, guilt is an easy thing to feel. And I've got a, a, one child that is, she's the same way as, as I am, where it just has this high feeling of guilt. But the Bible says his blood cleanses us. And so, verse 23, so we hold fast the confession of our hope. Now, this is kind of flowery language. Hold fast means hold tightly, right? We're holding on to what? The confidence of our hope. Remember what we said hope is? That was a couple of weeks ago now. Confident expectation. So we hold fast to our confident expectation. We hold tightly to that and, bless you, without wavering. Why don't we waver? Read the rest of the verse. I didn't read it so you you would miss it. Why do we not waver? Because he is faithful, not because I have a good grip. Because he is faithful. And so the Bible says in another place, when we are faithless, he remains faithful still because he cannot deny himself. Our salvation is, is as sure as God himself is sure. Because it is anchored in the character of God, not in the actions of man. You following me? And we, just, when I say we, I I refer mainly to North American Christians, okay? That's usually what I mean when I say we, not redheads, um, whatever. I just, we as North American Christians, sometimes I think... Our, our Christianity is churchy, Andy. I, I think I told you, but I'm going to tell you again because it was such a great statement. And I'm going to start saying it a lot. Uh, we, I heard a preacher a few weeks back now say, we spend 40 years teaching people how to be good church members, but we don't spend any time teaching them how to be Christians. And that was just a revealing statement to me. I was like, that's exactly what we do. We teach them how to dress right, how to pray right, how to talk right in public, how to sing the songs right, how to show up to church, how to... Do all the activities of church. But where do we ever teach people how to actually live like Christ lived? You know, as a for instance, another place a few months ago now. Um, I read a, a thing where the guy was talking about actually living out Christ. And he said, for instance, you're riding down the street. And you see a homeless guy with a sign, you know, will work for food or whatever. And he said, some people would pass by, but if you're a really good Christian, you, you might give him some money. If you're a really good Christian, you go buy him a meal. He said, but if you're like Jesus, you park the cargo, sit down beside him and start loving on him and trying to help him that way. And I, I thought about it. That's what Jesus did. He didn't throw money at us. He didn't throw us a meal when we were hungry. He put on flesh and dwelt among us, right? It was a silly little illustration, but it, it, it grabbed hold of my, of my uh, 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 imagination. And so we hold fast our confidence, the confession of our hope, without wavering because he who's promised is faithful. And if you ever put the next verse in this context, so let us consider how to spur one another onto love and good works. All of that's taken care of. So, so when I show up and it's, it's Robert and I, I don't have to come to Robert and go, dude, you know, hey. I come to him and go, hey man, how, how, how can we love that guy? He's been on that street corner for, I've seen him for four weeks now. What can we go do with him? And we have a conversation spurring one another on to love and good works. How can we show love to our brothers suffering here in church? How do we show, how do we show good works toward this widow? How do we together go and minister to this group? So why are we able to do that? Because... Christ has taken care of all this, and we can go to the throne boldly with confidence, and, and we, we have that assurance. Well, then we jump down to verse thirty two not that what's in bet- I want you to know that what's in between is also good. you ought to go home and read it all, but I, I just want to point out a few verses, but recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with suffering, and uh, that in other words we Everything's not always easy. He says, sometimes you are exposed, um, publicly exposed to reproach, affliction, sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Verse 35 is actually where we were headed. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. What if tomorrow we wake up, and I don't believe this, but he just happens to be sitting in the White House right now, okay? I I don't care what president it is or was, this is an illustration. What if we wake up tomorrow, and it's revealed that that Donald Trump is the Antichrist, okay? I don't think he is, just, again, this illustration, I don't want anybody going out here yelling at me, Uh, and... You know, pick the president you like the least and say, oh, I, it, would, it would have been that guy if it was anybody. Okay, okay fine. That's not what it, my point. But my point is this. What if we woke up tomorrow and the government said, nope, we're going to charge ter- churches taxes because we don't pay taxes as a corporation. We each one individually pay taxes, so the church does pay taxes. Um, just we don't pay taxes on this land. Um, they took away all those. They, they said, we're not going to allow you to freely assemble. They took away all our First Amendment rights. Uh, the preachers can't preach what they want. You can't assemble freely. Um, and, and they confiscate our guns by force, which is what they'd have to do, um, so, that, so that we can't fight back. And they, took, they stripped it. We can't vote anymore, and everything was gone. Notice what it said in the verses that aren't listed but I read. That they didn't even get upset when, after they were first saved, that they were ridiculed and some people plundered their property. They went, that's okay i got a better possession than that in heaven. You can have it all. It doesn't matter because I don't live for this world. We don't think about that. And then in that context, he says, so don't throw away your confidence that has a great reward. Verse 36, for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. We have to endure through some of that suffering So that we receive. Verse 38. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back. My soul has no pleasure in him. So we have to live by faith. That we're going to heaven. And that we can move forward. But we are not of those who shrink back. And are destroyed. But of those who have faith. And and persevere. uh, Preserve their souls. Sorry. Preserve their souls. So we draw near to God. And. Coming near to God, we realized that God was all we needed. When my children got their license, each one of them, my son heard it three times because he was the baby and had three children. But, uh, and and in fact, he had a serious accident one day and bruised him up, but he he didn't get hurt, totaled the car. And he said, well, today was the day I finally did what you said. Because what I told every kid is you will not know your limitations until you exceed them. And exceeding them is painful, but then you'll learn what it is you can't do, and he did. He learned what he couldn't do. He got hurt, and and he and he said, "Well, today I learned. I learned what I couldn't do. Thought I could, but he didn't make it." So, in the Christian life, it's the same thing. Now we we don't know what we can do till we exceed, but the deal is we're unlimited in God. I, I know you're sitting there going, "That does not make sense." I know. <laughs> But you think this is your limitation in the world as you suffer. No, you've got a long way still to go. And you will never outdo God. We have come, we can come all the way into the very throne room of heaven. To, to the holy of holies in heaven. Because in his flesh, Jesus tore the veil. So we, that was the veil. His flesh being torn. To give us access to the very throne of God. It's... That's why the, 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 the temple veil actually was torn that way from the top to the bottom. It tore, signifying that the way was open. It tore from the top to show that God did it, not man. And anybody can walk into the Holy of Holies. Now, if you were a Jewish person, that just blows your mind. Because only the high priest could go in only once a year. I mean, they didn't go in there and dust that thing. It just sat in there for a year and every in 65 days. The high priest would go in after careful preparation and careful things he did. And he walked in that Holy of Holies afraid that he's going to die because he's walking into the literal presence of God in an earthly tabernacle. And now the writer of Hebrews tells us, no, you walk into the heavenly Holy of Holies. And the blood, instead of a a bowl of blood of a lamb slain, the blood of the lamb is already slain. Been, slain, been shed and placed on the mercy seat and you get to walk in because Christ's body was torn on a cross for you. That is our access to God and that's powerful. The next sentence is the mistake. It says the perfectionist. It's supposed to be the perfection, our perfection is a so I wrote perfection is and I didn't get my hit my space bar right so it Oh, he must have said perfectionist and it put a T on it for me and I didn't go back and read it. So our perfection is a tribute to the finished work of Christ. Now, again, let me stop and redefine once again or define once again the word perfection. And there's nobody up there to fix that. I don't know if Bobby can his all these guys access to run the slides, you can't fix them. Perfection has a sense of completeness, that we are incomplete, we're broken. We're incomplete and Christ completes us. He, he finishes the work. And so a lot of what we had was Christ came and he brought that element of salvation and restored us to God. And our perfection, not that I am a, I, everything I do is perfect, but my perfection before God is, is a tribute to the finished work of Christ. So, in other words, if, if I'm saying, oh, I'm not worthy, I'm cursing God. If I say, God can't use me, I'm cursing God. Because I'm saying, I'm so bad, God can't fix me. And God can't do anything with me. I'm, I'm such a bad dude, even God can't take care of me. We don't think of it that way. We think we sound all humble and meek and Christ-like. Oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm just, you know, God just can't. No, you have been made perfect in Christ. And sometimes you feel bad because you're not, you know, we always say Billy Graham, but you're not some Christian you admire. Oh, I, I can't speak all that. Well, you're not supposed to. You're not them. God perfected you to be you. And if you live in what God made you to be, God will use you to do some mighty amazing things. I'd love to tell the story, and and I I think I've even said it here already, about the old guy in my first church that he couldn't witness. But he knew how to be a friend. So he he would befriend lost guys, and then he would take them fishing with me, or the evangelist. (laughs) Or he would get them to come help him at church to work on something, fix something. Until that guy got saved. I remember he called me one night because his neighbor he had been talking to and bringing to church and all came over and said, I need to be saved. And he didn't know how to lead him to the Lord. He called me, said, I need you to come over. And I was like, okay, I'll go over there and tell him how to get saved. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it was kind of crazy. I think he could have, but he was just such a shy person. You know, he, he was just withdrawn and, and, but he knew how to just be nice to people. And through that, uh, another lady I know, that, that made homemade bread to take to every visitor in the church. She would have been scared to death to ever have talked to somebody she didn't know. Sweet and sweetest ladies i ever met in my life. But man, don't, don't throw her in a room and make her talk to everybody. I'd scare her out of her wits. But she could make bread to make sure they felt welcome to be there. So she did. And we gave away bread. And we had a ton of people that came back saying, Hey, I came back for the bread, you know. And uh, they were joking, but... It, but it was a ministry that she carried on, and and I often said, man, in heaven she's going to get credit, not even though she wasn't the one that went and spoke to him, she was the one that opened the door for somebody else to speak to him. Um, just a wonderful person. Our perfection, we've been made perfect, and I'm not even talking about our ministry. I'm talking about when you go to pray. If you don't understand this, I, I, I don't want I don't want to say you you can't get to God. But I, what I do want you to understand is you are getting to God because he's made you perfect in Christ. And we're going to look at more about that. But, but I'm going to make that statement so boldly. Look at Romans 8.3 so, so that you want to see the rest. I, I would tell you Romans 6, 7, and 8 is a trilogy. 6 is about uh, the fact that we're lost and we're sinners and we, need, we are broken. Roman, but that we can be saved by, by Christ. Uh, it's a free gift to God and other works, lest any man should boast. And then Romans 7 is about the struggle of being a Christian in a, in a fallen world. And we come to chapter 8 and it says, there's therefore now no condemnation those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're feeling condemnation, that's from the devil. If you feel conviction, that's from the Holy Spirit. And, and we mess up and the Spirit convicts us. That's, Jesus said that was part of his job. He will bring conviction of sin. So, that's a good thing. And, uh, and then he says, the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Look at verse 3, though. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. A lot of words, very simple, though, once you're catching it. I want to make it simple for you. The law could not save us because our flesh was weak and we couldn't keep the rules. I, I almost became a legalist. I, well, I was a legalist for a while and uh, got delivered that early, that God. But, but here's the problem with legalism. It is you can't keep the rules you make for yourself. You say, now, come on, I think you're being extreme. Really? Have you ever made a New Year's resolution? Have you ever kept a New Year's <laughs> resolution? Two different questions. I mean, we, we, we can't even keep the rules we make for ourselves. How are we going to keep God's rules? And that's what he's saying in, in Romans 8, 3. The law was weak, not because the law was bad, but because you're weak. And so you couldn't do it. You could not keep those rules. So what the law could not do, God did, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. He looked like sinful flesh, but he wasn't sinful flesh. And since he did not have the inherent weakness of Adam, not you Adam, Adam, the original Adam, to turn to sin at the first opportunity, he, when he was tempted, he passed the test. Not as God, he passed the test as a perfect man. Just as Adam, the original Adam, had the same opportunity and failed, Jesus had that same opportunity and passed. And in verse 3, so what he did in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. So now that he passed the test, he didn't have to pay for his own sin, and he was qualified, and we're going to come to the next verse, the next verse to see it. He was qualified then to die for somebody else's sin. Whose sin did he die for? Look over at 2 Corinthians 5.21. You hear me quote it a lot. A whole lot. Let me read it to you. 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, he, talking about God, made him, talking about Jesus, to be sin. Who knew no sin. And knew no sin, that word knew is an intimate knowledge. He had never experienced sin. So that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. There was an exchange made. We owed a debt we couldn't pay. He paid a debt he didn't owe. Have you ever overpaid a bill by accident? Probably y'all are very organized and you never do that. But I have sent too much money. Or the insurance company comes into the year and, oh, you know, we didn't need this or something. You pay too much towards your insurance for your house loan, whatever, and you get a refund back. Well, it's not really a refund. They've been holding your money for a year. But, you know, people say, oh, I'm getting a big check back from the government. No, you're getting your money back from the government. They have stole your money for a year. But anyway, and so you get it back. And, and that's a great thing. Well, This is greater than that. I owe this debt. He owed nothing. So he paid my debt and he gave me his bill, which was zero. It's an exchange. And so when God looks at me, all he sees is Jesus' blood. Because he's looking at my bill going, you know, the devil, that's the accuser of the brethren. He walks into God and says, I got him now. (laughs) Got a list. This is all the things he did just today. And it would take you know, a volume bigger than you know, Webster's Dictionary to do that. But this is what he did today, God. And, and God goes to pick that up. And Jesus says, hold on. Let me put that where it belongs. He puts it under that blood. And God looks down and says, all I see is perfection of Christ. That's what Jesus does for us. In Romans 8.3, that's what it's saying. I am not condemned because he was condemned for me. Now... Here's the question I'd ask people. Are you still guilty? Of course you are. You're still guilty. That's why you feel guilty. But God doesn't condemn you. You only condemn yourself. And so once you understand that he has set you free, that he became sin. I, I, um, I wrote about this this past week in one of those Oswald Chambers devotions because he's talking about the cross. And, and it's us preachers. I, I, I fuss at us a lot. We we've talked about the physical suffering of Christ so much, and it was horrible. It was horrific. It was part of his his paying for our sin. But but that's not what got to him. In the garden, when he prayed and recoiled, it was because he was looking at a God-sized task, knowing he had to do it as a man. That he had to become our sin. I I don't want. I mean, I always want to take. You, close your eyes. Think about the worst thing you ever did. Now let's go a little deeper. What's the worst thing you ever thought about doing? And I'll go deeper still. What's the worst thing you ever thought? I have imagined murder. I've imagined adultery. I've imagined stealing. Did my thinking that. Was that sin? Yeah, if you hate your brother, you might as well have murdered him. If you have an adultery toward, you know thoughts toward someone not your wife that 's the same as committing adultery that 's what Jesus said. All of that 's piled on the perfect Jesus, and he who knew intimately no sin, who never thought about killing anybody, never had a lustful thought, who never thought about stealing or cursing God, who always worshiped God in the perfect way that the Ten Commandments dictated that he did, suddenly became the exact opposite of that and became sin and took it to a cross and died in our place. That's what it costs for us to have access to God so that we can go into the throne room and of course, we confess those things. We, 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 you know. In salvation, God delivers us from from living in that kind of a lifestyle. But n- nobody sitting here can come to me, later and go, "Man, you, you're really bad. and I thought you were okay, and I got you got a problem." <laughs> don't don't even try that, because there's nobody in here that hasn't done the same things I've done. We we've all committed sin, even if we didn't physically do it. We've had that thought go through our head, and. Sometimes we, you know, you can't stop a bird from flying over your head. You can stop from building a nest in your hair. And and sometimes we, we let them linger. So, yeah, go ahead. So, now let's say I ask you something and I'm expecting an answer. You're going to have to think about it to give me a response, right? Yes. And if he'd have thought about it, it'd have turned into bread. He did not even consider it. He answered with the word of God. He's like, I, I don't do that. I mean, it, he understood the concept, but he never thought about, hmm, I could turn it to bread. He didn't, he didn't even let himself imagine doing it, is what I'm saying. Because to me, if he'd imagined it, it would have happened. Now it's just, that's, I, I can't prove that. That's just what I think. But I, I do know that he completely pass that test. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. See, that's the depth of our failure. Like, you know, okay, here's what I do not want you to do. I do not want you to think about a pink rhinoceros running past me, behind me right now. So everybody just saw a pink rhinoceros do that in your mind. We don't have the power not to be subject to suggestion. And so that's why the devil comes in and goes, Um, the Pastor Burchett said this, that the devil whispers into your ear, grace, grace. And then when you give in to the sin, he yells judgment. He screams condemnation. He whispers, oh, God will forgive you. And then when you do it, he starts hammering you. Oh, you did it. Bam, bam, bam. And so that's a good point. I appreciate you making that point. Jesus didn't even imagine it. He passed that test. And, and so we, we have that difficulty. So we have to, you know, <laughs> David said, I'm going to make my eyes look right on. I'm not going to even look over there. I'm not even going to see that. I'm not going to consider that. I'm not even going to contemplate that hatred or that stealing or whatever it is. I'm, I'm, I want to look straight forward. Yes. Well, if he's talking, he's lying. Satan is. So um, there's, there's no doubt about that. So any other basis of coming to God is either... Our own confidence in ourselves, in our sanctification. Or we somehow think we have seniority and, and our confidence rises and falls with our progress. Oh, I, I, man, I messed up this week. I, and we think we can't even pray because we messed up. Man, you are a mess up. <laughs> it, it, just accept that. Just go, yeah, I messed up. Because that's what qualifies you to get to come to God, to the throne of grace and find mercy and to find forgiveness is the fact that you did mess up. And it's the grace of God that allows us to do that. And so when you get a hold of that, uh, it, it straightens out your, uh, how you come. So just think about this, and, and I made it a statement, but I, w- I want to show you in, in Romans 5 where, where we could find this. We can plead the blood of Christ over our sin because it was shed and it's there on the mercy seat for us. A sinner can get a hearing from God by pleading the blood of Christ for salvation, right? So how much more now that I'm his child can I get a hearing from God by the blood of Christ? I now belong to him and that was my brother who did that for me. And Romans five one says, Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then... Verses 9 through 11. I didn't write those in your paper. You might want to put them. Romans 5, 1 and 5, 9 through 11. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We have been reconciled to God, according to Romans 5. So we have access to God because of the finished work of Jesus in our life. There is a difference between brashness and cringing. I, I, we described this before. One end is, oh, I'm saved, I can talk to God, and we, we have this buddy-buddy kind of idea. And I, we just are very brash in the presence of God. And, and we ought to have some respect. On the other end is we're cringing, oh, it's going to beat me. You know, like, we, we had a dog that, that that we got this dog and it had been abused. as if We got it as a puppy, but it had already been abused so much it it cringed when you came around. It was a half poodle, half shih zoo. And don't ever get one of those. Um, <laughs> that dog lived 16 years, and I hated it every day of its life. It was a... Mean it would bite me. His name was Gordon. Uh, I just looked at him and said, that's a Gordon. And so it was Gordon. And Gordon lived with us 16 years. I kind of joke about that. We got him before our son was born. Our son was 16 when we had to put that dog down. He'd never known life without it. Crazy dog. That dog was a, 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 a pain to me. But, but I started to tell you about him just because he, he would cringe. He didn't, obviously, he was abused by a man. So if I wanted to pick him up, put him in my lap, and pet him, he'd bite me. I mean, he just would bite me. Now, if I sat still and he jumped up on the couch, he'd creep down get in my lap and he'd let me pet him. When he got older, I'd be petting him. He'd go, rrr, 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 but he'd let me pet him. So um, I wasn't mean to him much. Um, and and uh, uh, he learned obedience to the things he suffered. But anyway... In our prayer, sometimes we're brash. Sometimes we think, oh, God won't listen to me. Oh, I've messed up so bad, and he can't possibly love me anymore. Uh, and the, the fact is that God, God knew you were going to mess up before he saved you. His love is not conditional. He loves you anyway, and his, his sacrifice is complete. He's already forgiven you for the sin you're going to commit tomorrow. Because in his mind, you'd already done it. He'd already paid for that. doesn't mean you're free to sin, Paul says, should we sin so grace abound? May it never be that way. That grace brings a desire to obey God and to follow his will. But now we have confidence when we do mess up, we can come to him and say, I really messed up and I agree with you that was wrong and I I don't want to do it. I did it, but I don't want to do it again. And we can get forgiveness and, and strength to overcome sin so that eventually we will overcome sin. So Hebrews 11.1, one, let, let's look at that balance. We talked about that balance in detail last week, uh, last time, so I'm not going to go into detail again. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So I'm praying, and I'm, I have confident expectation about something I haven't seen yet, but it's coming as I pray to the one invisible. But check out verse 6 that I, I uh, this morning, uh, was uh, uh, quoting. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. I love the King James head. He is. God never, God is the eternal I am. He always is. So when you go to God in prayer, you don't have to say, Oh Lord, if you'd have done it differently in the past, as at the tomb of Lazarus, perfect example of that. Where Martha's going, Lord, if you'd have shown up yesterday, our brother wouldn't have died. He goes, uh, it's going to be okay. And he gets to Mary and Mary says, oh Lord, you know, why didn't you come? And he says, no, he's going to live. And he goes, and she says, yeah, I know in the resurrection he'll rise. He goes, no, I am the resurrection. I'm here, I'm God, I'm, 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 I am now here. You don't have to wish for yesterday and hope for tomorrow. I showed up. And when God shows up, you never have to look at him and go, "You're too late." <laughs> God's never too late. He's never early either, by the way. He shows up on time. He always is, and He rewards those who what? Diligently seek Him. It says, "Right, rewards those who seek for Him." So, so you need you, you need that that the reward follows the seeking. And then we also have gone over Luke 11, 1 through ten in detail. Um, and, and that is the importunate uh, one knocking on the door. Hey, my my friend came to me at midnight, and I don't have any bread. Can you give me some bread? So he says, keep on seeking, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking, and it'll be done. So you have to learn to pillow yourself on the Lord's promises and lay your head in his lap. That, that's, that's a burchettism there. Can you throw that up there? Thank you. It's on y'all's paper, but... I'm sure she made a slide of it. I hope, maybe, maybe not. Anyway, you have to learn to pillow yourself on the Lord's promises. That is, know what God has promised. And that's where you rest. You rest on his promises. You know, didn't we used to sing a hymn about that? Standing on the promises of Christ my King. Through eternal ages let his praises ring. Glory in the highest. I will shout and sing. Do we really shout? Standing on the promises of God. Standing, standing, standing on the promises of Christ my Savior. That was that was the most fun we ever had as a teenager in church, right? Before they had contemporary music. That was as contemporary as we could get. Some some church members sing it. Sitting on the premises of Christ my... You know, so people are sitting on the premises, standing on the promises, right? You've heard that before. And so so we need to pillow ourselves on His promises and lay your head in His lap. I, I can... I don't know if I can actually remember it, but I can remember remembering it. Church on Sunday night. Man, you remember when church on Sunday night was like church on Sunday morning. It was just a different time of day. So we'd go back, 2,200-seat auditorium, people everywhere. And I was probably four or five years old. And I remember as a little kid, Sunday night, I'm a kid. I've been playing outside all day, playing, you know, plastic bat and ball, playing wiffle ball and stuff with neighborhood kids. And then we got to get a bath, go back to church. And I'm sitting there, and I'm getting sleepy as a kid, and my feet are in my dad's lap, and my head's in my mom's lap, and I'm out like a light. I must not have snored back then, because they wouldn't have let me do that. But I'm just laid out of sleep, and many a Sunday night, they had to carry me out, because I'm, I'm done. I don't know how old I was. I remember remembering it. I don't know if I can actually remember it. That's, you know... I, I've had to tell people in church, I appreciate your trust in me because you trusted what I'm saying right so much that you can just sleep through it. That's good. Um, but, but that's the idea of that little phrase that I can just rest. I don't have to struggle. God's going to take care of it. And it, it's hard for us to trust to that degree, isn't it? It, it really is. Matthew 6, Sermon on the Mount. These are some instructions from Christ. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogue and in the street corners that they may be seen by others. They want the pious act of praying to be seen by people. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. In other words, the only answer they're going to get is the one that they just got, that everybody saw them praying. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who's in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. The the principle of that is not that you can't let other people see you pray. We kind of think that way. You don't pray to be seen by other people. You can pray in front of other people, but that is not why you ought to be praying. Your prayers, and what he's saying is that The prayers when we are needing something from God. Because Jesus prayed out loud in front of people, right? At the tomb of Lazarus. He said, Lord, I thank you that you hear me, Father. But you always hear me. I'm only praying out loud so they will know where this is coming from. In the name, you know, Lazarus come forth. He didn't even have to say in the name. He said, Lazarus come forth. Peter said, silver and gold, we don't have any. But what we have, we'll give to you. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. They gave glory to God. So it's not that you can't pray in front of other people, but the secret of God's blessing is that you're praying in secret. That, you, that prayer you pray out loud is not the only prayer you're praying. Or at another time, the wisest man in the world said, inadequate prayer life cannot be made up by a king size blessing at the table. You pray in secret, and in, and if you do it there, God will take care of it out in the open. Everybody will go, wow, God answered the prayer. And you don't have to tell everybody you prayed about it. You just, It just happens. And when you pray, do not keep up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. They think they'll be heard for their many words. They're begging and pleading and just constantly. We are to keep seeking, asking, and knocking, but don't... Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you have need of before you ask Him. In other words, pray with confidence that He heard you. Now, you can pray till you get that sense that there's nothing wrong. Jesus told us to keep praying. I've encouraged you to keep praying. But it's not just a form. It's not Hail Mary, full of grace, Notre Dame's in second place. And going through a rosary and repeating yourself over and over and over and over again. Some of y'all caught that. Um, I don't even know how you actually pray the rosary. I've just seen people do it. So, so it's good as a reminder maybe, that's fine. I mean, it's not wrong to have a system of praying, but, but just repeating something over and over and over, hoping maybe God will finally hear it, um, is not it. It's, it. It is praying until, sometimes, you know, um, I will say something to Jansen I don't feel like she heard me. And so I'll repeat myself. And she'll say, I heard you. What do you want? I just want you to acknowledge it. Okay, I heard you. Okay, fine. And then I'll go on, right? So we're the only ones to have that conversation. I think other people do too. Or the other way around. Wife tells the husband something. He goes, you never told me. I did tell you. You just didn't listen. You know, we have that. Well, we go to God and sometimes he, you know, I called it a no from God. But it's a quietness so that. Lord, did you hear me? Because he wants us to draw near, right? What did Jesus do with the first time he heard Lazarus was sick? What does the Bible say? Stayed where he was, <laughs> yeah. Stayed where he was for four days. And then he said, okay, we got to go. Lazarus fell asleep, we got to go wake him up. And the disciples said, well, if he went to sleep, he's going to get better. He goes, you don't get it, he died. We got to go raise him from the dead. We got to show the glory of God. We got to show the power of God here. And so, it's okay to pray again, but don't just have vain repetition. So, how do I gain a singular petition? Man, I've got this thing I want from God. How do I get that? First of all, there's a preparation phase. In other words, um, there there are times uh, Nehemiah was sad as he thought about the torn down wall in Jerusalem. He had heard reports about it. And he was sad, and he was in the presence of the king. And the king didn't want sad people all around him. He said, what's your problem? And he said, how can I be happy when the walls of my homeland are torn down? Excuse me. Well, I don't know, that one sneaked out. And the king and says, what do you want? And he says, so I said a, a prayer to heaven, and I answered the king. He didn't have time to say, excuse me, let me go to ask God what he really wants. He'd already been in that room praying and praying and praying. And so when he had the opportunity, he was good to go. And he said, Lord, thank you. Here's the chance. And bam, he went at it. And he was able to tell the king what he wanted and went back and rebuilt the wall. So we need a time of preparing for the opportunity. So check your own life first. Just... Ask the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that the Spirit is like a light, and it, and it searches out the innermost being. Anybody ever had a dead mouse in your house? Yeah. They have a way of stinking, you know, a dead mouse in the basement will stink up the whole house, won't it? Or the dishwasher. Yeah, we we lived out in the country in South Carolina, and we didn't have a basement because the ground's too wet. But but uh, mouse got up in the insulation around the hot water heater because that's where they like to get and died there, and then we ran those hot water, that hot water a few times, and what is that smell? That's when I learned what a dead mouse smells like. Well, you just tell the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, you got a dead mouse in here somewhere. I need your light to help me find that dead mouse. And he goes down and he, he helps us discover that's what's stinking up your life right there. You need to deal with that, get that straight. So as as he's doing that you 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 begin to get god's perspective on who you are and so now your petition is getting modified that's the second step there as i as i'm getting lined up with god's will i want to i want to have the mind of christ in my own life i want my is my prayer life ordered correctly is my giving ordered correctly is my witnessing ordered correctly is my my faithfulness is my you know to to my family to my friends to my job all that as we get that set in order, all of a sudden we can see it more clearly God's will. Because if I'm if I'm cattywampus over here, y'all know what cattywampus is. If I'm if I'm out of tune, if I'm crooked, then it can't be anything but crooked. I'm I'm, I'm trying to start to be a beekeeper, and and I have to build these frames that the bees build their hives on, and they have to be perfectly square. And I've been I finished the last one just before we came. It's 30 frames, and they're small wood, and I, I can't cut a straight line with a saw. I, can't, I, I hammer like lightning, never twice in the same spot. It's just, it's sad. And those, those frames, they were kind of pre-cut, but they got to be perfect. So I got this square, and I put the glue on it, and I squared it. I drove one nail, and I squared it. I drove second nail, and I squared it. Because it had to be square, and I had to keep checking it against that square to make sure it was perfectly square. Because when you start picking it in and out of a square box that was already there and right, if it's crooked, you're going to struggle getting it out and the bees don't like to be shook around like that. So you want to be able to lift it out gently and, you know, go away bee and let it go away nicely. So our lives, man, when we're out of whack, man, we're bumping into God's, to God's barriers all the time, right? How many of y'all have been on 562? uh, 262 what is it 262 562 yeah everybody have you ever gone from the side of the road to the side of the road bumping into the guardrails and cursing the engineers who built the road where you couldn't get anywhere no you had to turn your car that way right We get on God's highways and we start slamming into the barriers, backwards and forwards, going, God, this is the dumbest thing you ever did. Why did you build a highway where I can't get anywhere? God built a perfect highway. You got the car, cattywampus. Turn the car this way and you can go as far in God's will as you can possibly go, right? I I used to have an illustration of that. I didn't draw it for this one. So as I get right, now my petition gets modified. Instead of asking God to fix the road, I find out he already had the road fixed. I need to get my car turned. So I got my car turned. Oh, now I got a different prayer. Give me the gas to get where I'm going. Now I got a new prayer, right? Instead of fix the road, give me the gas or whatever it might be. I'm just making this up as I go. So please be kind. And, and then we really want to discover God's mind and spirit. That is what we want to know first. And that's what we want to know most. I go to God at first, man, I got this, I've got this urge, this drive. And, and, if, and if, if you do the first thing that comes to mind, you, you jump in there. At least for me, I'm going to be wrong most times. And so my first answer, if you're making me make a decision right now, my answer is no. Because I'd, I'd rather not do something than do the wrong thing. So that's just my personality. I'll say no, and then, well, let's talk about it. Okay, and then we can slowly come back to you, Yes. Okay, some people are just like, oh yeah, woo, and then it's too late. So we discover God's mind and will through his word and the spirit. The spirit gives gives testimony to his word. And as I read that, so you may find, have you ever had a struggle in your life and you read a verse and God just spoke to you through that verse? And then you go to your friend and go, man, I was praying about this. And look at this verse God gave me and you read it to them and they go, what? How did you? Because it didn't mean that to them. It, it, it just didn't. It wasn't quite there. You know what I'm talking about? I, 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 again, I'll give you the safe example from my life. And that is, for three years, I'm staring at a wall. Five, four days out of the week in chapel, in seminary, for three years, I'm staring at a wall with a map of the world that says, To know him, to make him known. And then you got missionaries up there saying, You need to know God. You need to make God known. You need to know God. You need to make God known. I mean, that is the theme, that is the thing you hear over and over and over and over. And that'll get to you. And I already had, you know, a heart for evangelism in the world. So I said, Lord, I'd really like to be a missionary. And he said, no. Even after this, I, we went, I went to the IMB and I said, hey, what would it take for me to get to the mission field? I'm a diabetic. They said, you find an insurance company and insure you in a foreign country as a diabetic, we'll send you. And I found out nobody would. And, and I said, So, I, but I'm in school. And I, Lord, I really want to be a missionary. He said, no. And so I don't compare myself to Paul. But like Paul, I prayed a third time. You know, and this is over a period of time, two, three years. Where I'm reading that and I'm hearing the call. We need to go. And God, I want to be a missionary. I want to go where nobody's heard the gospel. I want to go and spread your word. There's plenty of people in America to preach. Please let me go. And he said, no. My grace is sufficient. You know, now I could... Take that text, but that's not the text God gave me. So when he said no the third time, I said, and this is very casual what I'm saying, I said, well, you gotta, you got to explain this a little bit. You guys should give me something, so I get it. What he gave me was a verse out of uh, um, Ezekiel that says, I'm not sending you to a people of your own tongue, or, or to a people of a different tongue in a different country. I'm sending you to the people of your tongue and your country. And I went, oh, thank you. I've never preached on those verses. I've never used those verses anywhere else. And if I showed them to somebody, they'd go, what are you talking about? He's talking about something else. But for me, those were the verses where God was telling me, I'm telling you stay in North America. But if you want to hear my heart to do more, that's what it is. But God said, no, you stay here. And so I want to see people rise. That's why I said this morning, wouldn't it be great? If we had dozens of young people rise up out of the church and say, I will go, I will preach, I will, you know, it's, it's why one daughter surrendered to missions and may not ever be able to make it due to other things, and another daughter who is gone. Not because of me, I'm just saying, but, but that, that passion to send the message around the world, that's got to be all our passion. I had a thought this week. You can leave the tape running, but but I had a thought. This isn't in your notes, isn't anywhere else. If you want to think rightly about the church where we are, and, you know, because I said when I say we and I talk about how we're not getting it right, I, here's what I want you to imagine. And this is just a homework assignment, unrelated to the prayer class, but sort of related. And that is this: Let's say we had to drop you in a place where nobody had ever heard the gospel. Not hard to imagine those places exist. Nobody's ever heard about Jesus. And you have to build a church, just you, from there. What will you do? And when you answer that question, you'll figure out everything we're doing wrong. Well, yeah. That would be the first thing. You better pray before you go. But... I, I, that thought came into my mind this week. I wrote it down. I went, that's it. That's how we need to be thinking all the time. If we had nothing and we had to start with zero and nobody knew anything, would I spend my time doing this or would I spend my time doing that? Think about it. I don't, I don't want to talk about it. I want you to just think about it. So getting a singer petition. So I get prepared. Now I've discovered the promise in God's word. I've discovered his will, his mind, hear what he wants. So now I can press in and strengthen my prayers. Lord, here's what you said in your word. So, see, my prayer changed from, Lord, let me be a missionary, to, Lord, let me be a pastor that can help other people go. Do you, you see that? Just, just from my illustration. I know it's silly and personal, and I apologize for that. But, but now I can press in in prayer, Lord, you want to send laborers into the harvest... And you want me to be an equipper of those people and encourage them to go and help them go. And then I cross over to claiming his promise. Well, if that's what you want from me, you promised that your word won't return void. So I'm going to preach your word. I'm going to encourage people. I'm going to disciple people. I'm going to help people. And I expect you to do something about that. And I can press in and hold on to God's promise. And then I can receive it when it comes and praise him for it. Because I know I didn't do it because I can't do it. There's no way I can do it. And so as the promise comes back in an answer, I can receive that answer and say, Thank you, Lord, that you allow Ronnie to be in New York and Steve when he was in Fishersville and, and you know, others in other parts of the, of the world uh, that, that I'll stop naming people. Um, that you've allowed me to be a part of that. Not, not the reason, but at least be a part of it. And then you ought to write that down and remember it. You ought to make a record of that. Because now you've got a thank you notebook. And it encourages you. Wow. (laughs) Okay, here's a silly question. How many of you have ever read the instructions on a shampoo bottle? What do they say? I've had men and women raise their hands, so that's good. Lather. Yeah. Apply shampoo. Yeah. Scrub it to a lather. Rinse. Repeat, <laughs> right? I would ask how many of you ever do that? some of y'all you know you, you uh, shampoo your hair with a sponge and it's gone, uh, but anyway, just kidding you guys. Um, God only made a few perfect heads, the rest covered with hair um, but you 're welcome <laughs> uh, but but that that's that's that 's this what what does God want? Okay, now, repeat. <laughs> You know, lather, rinse, repeat. Do it again. 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 Say, so can we do something different? Why? This is perfect. It works. Do it again. Do it again. Do it again. Do it again. We're always looking for some new little thing, you know, and and that's fine. We can improve our methods and all that, that stuff, and we got to culturize our, we you know, we got to bring the gospel and apply it into our culture so that we can communicate the gospel clearly. I get all that. That's all, missiology and churchology, uh, church theology, and. That, that's great, it, but the basics never change. We've preached Jesus, born of a virgin, living a sinless life, dying a vicarious death in our place on a cross, buried, risen, ascended, and coming back. Right? We have a perfect word from God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three in one. Jesus was born of a virgin... Let's get that message out, that he died for your sins, you could be saved. Now that you're saved, let us help you with the scripture. And, and we're in process, beginning a process now, to write down what we think every member of Calvary ought to know and ought to do, therefore what they would become. And then we'll know we have a, a, someone who's a disciple by our definitions, when they know these things, when they're doing these things, and they've become that. So think about that. What does a worshiper need to know? What does a worshiper need to do? Can you be a worshiper if you don't know and do these things? I like to say that, I, that I'm a hunter, but I don't know that much about hunting. I like to get in the woods and walk around and, you know, hunt IBID. If it's brown, it's down. You know? But but Travis sitting back there. It's turkey season. I, I saw you took your nephew or some little kid hunting, you know, and he and, and the kid told him that... the turkeys were up late the night before. and See, I did read it. it said, the little boy said, turkeys were up late last night, so they're still sleeping in this morning. That's what, that's what, that's what he explained to Travis. That's how come the turkeys didn't answer him. But there's certain things you got to do. There's certain ways to do that. And so if you don't follow those ways, you never see a turkey. But if you do that, you may see one. <laughs> you might not, but you may. may. And, and God has given us the plan. Why do we want to make up our own? Let's just do the way he said. And, and if we'll do that, and, and it would just, that's a filter I gave you. If I was dropped on Mars and I had to start a church, what would I do? And as I began, what would I want to teach those Martians? What did they need to know to be a Christian? Not to be a church member, to be a Christian. What does it mean to follow Jesus in worship? What does it mean to follow Jesus in ministry? What does it mean to follow Jesus in witnessing evangelism and, 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 and missions? What does it mean to follow Jesus in fellowship? What does it mean to follow Jesus you know, in, in um, what's the last one? In discipleship, in teaching, now that I got it to teach others, how do I do that? And once we got that, you'll know what to get rid of in church, <laughs> and what to keep, and what to strengthen, and what to add, and what to take away. And so that's a constant process of evaluation, okay?